just running around the farm. Our farm backed onto a, a national park and it wasn't uh, uncommon for me to just disappear for the day with the dog and a bit of rope and I'd come back with a wild goat. I remember I brought one home into the lounge room one day and mum turned around from vacuuming and I'm standing in the, in the lounge room with a goat. I guess in my journey going from being a soldier to being an officer, I've been always very mindful of fellowship and leadership and I've tried to mould myself I guess, you know, the best of both worlds. So you can hold a rank and people will respect your rank, but what you want them to is to respect you as a person because that's where the fellowship comes from. I love the box breathing techniques um, and some of the breathing work that you've went through with that. Just being able to clear your mind. Um, as you said, dealing with, with children, it's three in the morning, you've been up half a dozen times already and the little bloke just screaming and he's just unsettled, he's teething or whatever and you just think, go to sleep, I just want to go to sleep, I've got to go to work in three hours. But then you sort of go, okay, have a couple of deep breaths, just take a couple of steps back and you just change just change that, uh, that script in your mind of where you're going and then how you deal with it. Optimise performance through adapting your physical, psychological and emotional state. Hi, it's Andrew May and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. In this episode, I'm joined by Strive Stronger Operations Director, Angela Poon. This is a coaching corner from the Social Mastery Program that we run with the Australian Defence Force. In this episode, we are joined by Captain Brenda Yaus and Sergeant Joe Munro. Captain Brenda Yaus initially dreamed of joining the Army as a wild 15-year-old, but her family wasn't particularly enthusiastic about this pursuit. Oh, Brenda, I have so many questions. Fast forward to age 31, after breaking her ankle playing rugby union, Brenda decided to go after her dream and become a reserve army private. Brenda now holds the rank of captain. She values teamwork and believes in the importance of community, support and collaboration. Brenda is committed to personal and professional growth, which is why she joined the Strive Stronger Social Mastery Programme. Sergeant Joe Monroe, my brother from another mother, as I said in the recent Social Mastery program, Joe is a dedicated and reflective father who understands the importance of both personal growth and team dynamics. As a farm kid growing up in the close-knit community of Binya, I believe that is near Griffith, during the 1980s, Joe not only developed early independence, but also cherished the values instilled by his family. A move to Wagga Wagga, with its proximity to the RAF base, ignited Joe's passion for aviation. He joined the Air Force cadets, where he learned the importance of leadership, accountability, and emotional intelligence. Captain Brenda Yaus and Sergeant Joe Munro, welcome to the Social Mastery Podcast. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Now, I've got to say, Joe, I, I was born in Wagga Wagga. Not far up from the RAF base is a place called Wagga Wagga Base Hospital. And my mum is from Wagga. In fact, she's from Tootle, which is outside the rock. So I have driven past that RAF base hundreds and hundreds of times. So as I read that out, I went there. I know exactly where you grew up. Angela's looking at me. This always comes up. I've lived all around New South Wales, and I know all these crazy little tiny, beautiful country towns. You basically can relate to every country boy or girl out there, I feel. I'm a bogan. Now, that's not a great segue to Brenda. <laughs> As a rough frame today, when Angela and I were looking at this, three key areas that really pop out, getting to know you two, which was wonderful in our social mastery program, getting to know you virtually, and now we're here doing a podcast. Number one, overcoming challenges and pursuing dreams. Two is balancing multiple roles and opportunities. I'm really keen to double click on that theme for both of you, because I struggle with this, Ange. How do you prioritize your career and your hobbies and passions and what you do outside and your community work. So I've got a couple of really cracker of questions for you both. And three, this impact of service and leadership and a term that we've learned a lot and I'm now, I'm, and I'm paying it forward, I'm always acknowledging the source, but that blend between followership and leadership, I'm introducing that to some of my sporting teams and it goes down really well because we've always spoken about, you've got to lead, but what about teamwork and followership. So that's a rough frame today. Brenda, we're going to start with you. I have to reverse and go back to the wild 15-year-old joining the army. Take us back. Uh, so I was born in Young, New South Wales, a very small country town. Young is near Yass, where I also spent time. And, uh, <laughs> it happens uh, Young, every time. <laughs> it's also near Kudamundra. And Young is the cherry 
uh, capital and they have the Cherry Festival there, which used to be an athletic carnival every April. And we'd stay with Uncle Charlie, who ran the pub at Cootamundra. Sorry, Brenda, told you. That's all right. My family <laughs> actually brought cherries too young. So I was a Jasperzar, and uh, and so we were like the cherry growers of young. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Very yeah. proud part of my uh, my heritage. Uh, our wizard here in the background, his family always goes to young, and they're from young. They're from young my, so my parents are from young. Are they? Yeah. What's yep. your family surname, Wiz? Kerr. Kerr. Do you know the Kerrs? Well, it's a small country town, so I'm probably, you know, you're related to half the town on one side and <laughs> half the town on the other. And the cherries there are beautiful. Uh, Wizard has brought in some cherries to share with us. They are beautiful. And anyone listening to this podcast for the first time, we do more than family of origin and talk about where I grew up and, and Wizard and how we link that to our guests. But it's interesting. Love, I love the history. So I have two older brothers and it was a trying to look up to your brothers and be like your brothers, I guess, a little bit. And so I can remember wanting to play football. My brothers were both um, very good football players. But I was never allowed. I was the little girl and that's not what girls do. So there was always this desire, you know, to hang out with my brothers and and so I became the tackling bag and, you know, I'm sure they trained me for the military. So I am very grateful for my upbringing. What I love now is seeing young women have the opportunity to play rugby union and AFL and football slash soccer and all these other team sports. God, we were stuck in the dark ages, weren't we? Not not allowing young girls to, to play sports. So you played rugby union. What age did you start? Uh, I think I was 29. I played rugby union and rugby league. And uh, and some of the highlights of my life was um, was the teamwork playing those sports as, a, as an older, more mature woman. Yeah, it was fantastic. Were there stereotypes around you, not only playing sport, but your family when you said you want to join the army? Is that what it was, that, that like young girls shouldn't be joining yeah. the army as well? Absolutely. I can remember, you know, having this desire to, you know, to serve and, and, and to join the ADF and to join the army, actually. And I was almost scoffed at, one, you're rebellious. How on earth would you ever deal with any of that discipline? And two, girls get married, have babies and stay at home. That was the the dream that I was sold and it wasn't quite what I wanted to achieve. Where do you think that desire for joining the army comes from? I would say definitely service. We were brought up in a family that sort of served others and that was just a, a beautiful part of my upbringing where it was a lovely community and I remember being always taught, if you can, you should. So if there's a need, see a need, fill a need. And so that was just intrinsic to my upbringing. And so to think about, you know, family, community, country and service, it was just the, the epitome of um, of being able to serve. And so it was something that always resonated with me. And in fact, I, I had no family members who had been in the military prior to me joining. So when you said at 15, I want to join and your family said no, you waited until you were 31 with two young kids before you joined. I think that's really courageous because you are already got a young family, you've got all these responsibilities. What gave you that courage to pursue your passion? I think when that fires on the inside, it doesn't go away. And I know in my journey, I've met so many people and they say, when they find out that you're in the military, oh, I always wanted to join. And then I say, well, you're not dead yet. You know, like I didn't want to live my life thinking I wish I had have tried. And I remember watching the reserve ads on the television while I was recovering from a broken ankle and, and thinking, wow, I don't want to leave that rock unturned. I want to at least give it a shot. And so I'm uh, really glad I did. So whoever wrote those reserve ads, well done, getting wonderful women like Brenda to get off the lounge and actually go and change careers. What what career did you do in your 20s? So I had uh, like a few different careers as I was finding my way. I was in property management. Um, I worked for Care Australia, an aid agency. I had two jobs. I, I generally, when I was younger, always had two jobs. I worked at the Hyatt and worked at Ridges at the same time. And then we ran a family business for quite some time um, and employed five people. So yeah, a lot of broad experience. <laughs> Broad experience, but that range, 
doing different roles, turning up in different types of environments as well. Can't help but think that's a great grounding. And also one of the hardest roles, parenting. In fact, I had a, a podcast on our performance intelligence podcast with a guy named John Quinn as the mental skills coach for the Crusaders rugby union team. They've won seven back-to-back super rugby titles. Quinny also works with Kubota in Japan. They've just won the super rugby title. Uh, he's a rock star in mental skills. And he said in the interview, one of the hardest things you can do to prepare you for life and to build resilience is to have a kid. And I went, mate, I've got four. And I, I forgot that it was a podcast I was interviewing him, but it started to become therapy. So it, it is it, it is all those challenges though, isn't it? Being a parent, juggling multiple roles that obviously set you up to make that transition at, at 31. Yeah, I um, just said something uh, about children and, I mean, it changes you. Your desire is for them and and you sacrifice so much for your children. And I remember when I was doing recruit training, you had to reach inside for that motivating factor when things got really tough. And for me, and that was a couple of things, one was this is so that my kids have something to aspire to. You know, when you think, oh, my God, if my mum can do that, I can do that. But also it was for um, for my grandma who was my best friend and, uh, and she had a stroke so she could only use half of her body and I remember thinking if she could, she would. So I'm going to do it for her. So you reach inside and you get all these, you know, life lessons and motivating factors and, yeah, they shape us. Oh, the emotional conduit there. I can't leave that. When you're looking at psychological constructs to motivate people, to inspire people, Ange, the big ones is if you can connect it to family or a loved one. And you just mentioned too, you, your voice wobbled and my heart rate skipped. So I, I, I could feel it. I could feel goosebumps. I was yeah. just so moved by that to have such a deep entrenched motivation that is something that is almost a gift as well because I think a lot of people go through life and don't really have a purpose but your purpose is just so deep and you've pursued it and look at where you're now. I'm going to get deep ladies and gents we're moving from extrinsic when you look at perceived locus of causality and extrinsic goals often motivate us external when you do it because you think you should or others say and then when you come intrinsic that perceived locus oh so when you talk about grandma when you talk about your two kids you just light up so obviously it goes deep. How did you learn to do that? Relationships and I guess the desire to make people proud, I always grew up with a sense of um, pride and honouring your family. So from that small country town, as I mentioned before, we were related to half the town. So it was a very large family. And so you were very aware of your actions because then it represented your family. And so you took pride in your work ethic. You took pride in how you presented yourself. And it was just that. And I guess that, you know, crosses over into wearing a uniform. You know, so that was something that was so easily transferable because I I was brought up with that sense of honour, honour to your family and, you know, honour in how you present yourself. Um, So I guess it was just about wanting to honour people. Oh, there's a couple of open loops I'm going to really come back to, but let's jump from cherries to grapes and let's jump from young to Binya, which is near Griffith. Sergeant Joe Munro, take us back when you were a young kid growing up. Is it like Bluey when I watch Bluey now? And there's this wonderful episode, Wizard, we'll put in the overlay, where uh, Bingo is telling the story of Dad when he was growing up in the 80s. And, and Bluey goes, yeah, when we're skids, we're free and we're riding along on our bikes, not wearing helmets. Not wearing helmets? It was the 80s. <laughs> That's me when I was 10 years old, on holiday with your Uncle Rad and Uncle Stripe. Hang on, where's your helmet? This was the 80s, man. There were no helmets. It was a wild place. So tell us about growing up. Was it like Bluey? Morning, guys. Thank you. Uh, It was probably pretty similar, but a lot more wild than that. For me, as I said in that little spiel yesterday, a young fella at a school, uh, when I started school, um, one of 15 kids, uh, that's the size of our whole primary school at at um, Binya Public there. But I was a wild little kid. I don't know how many times mum would still tell stories of, of me near killing myself, all these near-death experiences. And I was this wild little kid that, you know, probably didn't wear shoes until my first day of, uh, of primary school, just running around the farm. Our farm backed onto a, a national park. And it wasn't uh, uncommon for me to just disappear for the day with the dog and a bit of rope. And I'd come back with a wild goat. I remember I brought one home into the lounge room one day. And mum turned around from vacuuming and I'm standing in the, in the lounge room with a goat. 
Um, so I'm just going to get Ange to pick up a jaw and just take a little bit of time. Yeah. So did you send set a trap for the goat? Were you no, using no, a bow um, and arrow or did you use no, a just, carrot? Just a bit of rope. A bit of rope, um, ran it down, had the dog with me, just one of the little farm dogs and my little uh, fox terrier. So, and they were everywhere, obviously, up there. So, yeah. I was just going to say, I, I get annoyed, or not annoyed, but just amused yeah, when you my- do. Come on, prissy posse <laughs> mum. When my daughter going. brings home like rocks and random sticks, and you are bringing home a goat. What did your mum say? Yeah, she was pretty, pretty astonished, and it- ended up having to uh, get a ride in the back of the ute and dad had to take it over the other side of the national park because it kept coming back and eating mum's flowers because uh, I thought, oh, this is a great this is a great deal. I'm coming here. I've got all this fresh lawn and, and flowers, as we know, they eat everything. So it had to go on a trip uh, for a couple of hours over the other side of the hill. This is what I love about podcasting. Nowhere on our notes was Joe the goat farmer or the goat wrangler. Yeah. <laughs> So that was that was just one of very um, one of many. Like I said, growing up on the farm, though, just gave me these experiences. And at that early age, to be really independent. Dad worked uh, in town, so he was out every day or on the farm. Um, and then Mum also was working or just you know at home on the farm. Or uh, Mum was a great picker around Yender and uh, around Griffith, as we know it's a um, huge agricultural and population there. So I yeah just learned all these very much independent skills of, of entertaining myself and disappearing on the farm and and I loved that experience. So I was very disappointed when we moved at the, I was the age of eight uh, in the early nineties ninety two over to Wagga as as Andrew said and um, at Forest Hill. So I was lucky enough to be next to this raft base with all these amazing aircraft flying around and and uh, and I really learnt that aviation experience I suppose from there as a, as a young kid and. Once I was given the opportunity to, and at the age to join the cadets, dad really supported me in that and would drop me off every night and pick me up. Um, and that really set the seed for the love of aviation. As Brenda said, she he didn't have the historical service uh, service members. I had my grandfather who was in uh, the army in World War Two, And I still remember sitting on his lap as a little kid um, in Griffith and we'd watch the Army the Edge uh, you know recruitment ad would come on 131901 like I still remember it and I was like pa that's what I want to do I'm going to do that like you did and he'd just go no Joe like you know do something like he understood what the infantry was and, and what the, his experiences were and he'd push me to be something better but in, in his mind but I loved what the service um, provided and what the um, just what it was about, especially as a young farm kid. I like nothing more than running around in the bush with guns and, and all that camping and outdoors. So that really did sow the seed for me once I sort of moved over to Forest Hill and, and through the cadets, um, a number of leadership courses. I've still got mates um, now, you know, 20 years on, 25 years on from, from that experience that I share with some are army officers now. So, yeah. From goat wrangler to helping defend our country. Hey, it's me. Just a quick note, I'd love you to subscribe to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. And I know, you probably hear this on so many other podcasts, and like me, you switch off. But can I ask you to please go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. And while you're there, extra bonus, leave a rating and review. That's it. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. Joe, when we did the Integrated Mindset Masterclass, uh, we had a football player from Australia's best NRL team. It was Tom Travojevic from the Manly Seagulls. And we sat up at the front and Tom was talking about his experience and how much he appreciates what people like you and Brenda do to defend our country, but also how much he'd learnt through some of the military terms. And one of the terms I shared with Tom is you're going on a mission. So we, we've reframed Tom's injury as this is just a mission. This is not his whole life. And that's a term that I really have adapted from military to work with my athletes and sporting teams. You can have multiple missions and we now use this terminology. See, I didn't make this up. We're on a mission with our digital platform, iStrive, to get that to phase two. We're on a mission with some of the other projects we're working on. So Tom really resonated with that. Now, as a link, you have done a number of missions for my understanding to the Middle East. I have, yeah. So um, through my career as an aircraft mechanic, um, I've been privileged enough to sort of tour around a lot around the world. And I have yeah, initially deployed on the C-130Hs over the Middle East in 2007. And then I've helped out in Darwin if a, a Timor assists, earthquakes assist through um, Padang in Indonesia. And then I went 
down to Wagga and I spent seven years in Wagga more in that training role. So I was a technical instructor and then four years as a recruiting instructor. And then I've also spent, uh, I've re- returned back to Richmond on the C-130s and I've done another three tours and the three rotations through the Middle East. I love going to Richmond. There's there's a YMCA camp there. We, we used to go for lots of little athletics courses and just, you know, where the creek is over the low bed river and there's the YMCA camp just behind that. And you look up and you see these massive carriers. So in the middle of a track and field session, you, you, you feel the shadow mm, dropping down. But I digress, Ange. Question I've got for you, and this comes from an N equals one. I've just done three weeks traveling with heaps of conferences and I've been away two, three nights a week. And sometimes that's a challenge with my family, you know, missing events, missing different activities. Just quietly, I love going away because I get time to myself and it's, it's, it's nice. But when you go on a mission to the Middle East, it's not just a couple of nights, it's months. How do you, is, yeah. how do you frame that with your family? And, and for people listening to this who are starting in the Defence Force, who are preparing for missions around relationships, family, community, you know, I'm really curious, how do, you, how do you, one, prepare for that and, and with your loved ones? And two, how do you deal with that and, and avoid that homesickness or manage it? It's very much a set up too now. So obviously we've been in the Middle East for a, a long period of time. And so the Defence Force had set up a, a very number of initiatives and support networks prior to going away and getting us in that correct mindset to prepare us and to ensure that when we were there, it then wasn't a reactionary sort of type of feeling. So in the lead up, you would have discussions, you would set up, say, for instance, if I was the sole person who looked after the yard and the lawns, but then when I left and I had to then, you know, it was all on my partner, well, then you'd set stuff up like, okay, let's hire a gardener for the time that I'm away. And, and just a little example, that's, you know, one example, but little things like that in regards to trying to um, reduce the burden or reduce the stresses that are involved with just physically not being there, let alone obviously that homesickness that your family feel. For me, I've got three children now. My, my two oldest are uh, with my ex, with an ex-partnership, um, and that was very hard, those last three uh, deployments, um, because they were sort of that seven- and five-year-old age. But thank goodness for technology these days and setting up with, with our Skype and, and messenger calls. Uh, and that's that we initiated through our defence services overseas. So, uh, you know, you weren't relied on just having it on your phone. You actually had little cells and little networking like internet cafes you could go to that were set up purely and and it was pushed and supported for you to make sure you made that contact and set up those networks and articulate it if you had issues if your family had issues Brenda would know you know we have our Department of Veteran Affairs we've got legacy we've got the chaplaincies um, networks at home our DCO communities defense community organizations through home um, we can reach back through them if our partners and our families um, are struggling or having issues um, during that time to to hopefully help and and get that support where we need. On that theme of struggle, I've got a question for both of you. And Joe, you may not want to go there and it's totally up to you whether you feel comfortable talking about this or not. When you have a marriage breakup and you've got young kids at five and seven and then you're being deployed, not only are you managing the emotional drain of a relationship and that having been through that as well, mate, and coming from an Irish Catholic background, the guilt that I had on not being there, and I can see Brenda nodding as well. Can you take us back to how did you manage that, 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 that challenge? That was probably one of the hardest experiences for me is to just that initial um, overcome of emotion, I suppose, to how am I going to get through this? Like everything was sort of, it felt like it was falling apart and it was very much like, it's something that, as you said, like some people may not want to share and, and you sort of feel like you're embarrassed to share it. However, I found the minute I got into um, my workplace and, and I was at my recruit training unit, at uh, number one recruit training unit in Wagga, as soon as I had articulated what I was going through and shared some of that emotion with my immediate team, so uh, I was a course NCO then, I was one of four corporals and I had a sergeant and a flight sergeant, one officer, et cetera. Um, but one of my, with those four immediate people, my sergeant, my three other corporals around me, I shared that with them in a room and we just discussed it and had a talk about it. And obviously there's tears and a lot of emotion going around. But as soon as I did that, I just felt this wave of support and this weight off my shoulders. And I was so glad that I was able to share it, but then continue on and sort of continue talking to. I didn't feel um, necessary the shame or the embarrassment of, of, like you said, going through a, a separation or a divorce. 
um, or not being there at times where I, I felt guilty not being at work because I had to have an appointment or, or, or go and see someone. And, and you know, I, I felt supported through that. And then that obviously got passed up. Like, you know, your chain of command has a duty of care for your people and that sort of passes through the chain through certain networks. And the biggest thing for me where I knew I was right was uh, it was one afternoon where I was walking out the door and at the same time my commanding officer was walking out the door with me. And... Um, and just as we passed through the doorway, it was literally a hand on her shoulder and said, how are you going, Joe? And I, I just went, oh, look, and, you know, so he explained what I was doing. And she goes, well, you know, anything, you've got our support. And that was it. Straight away, I'm like, no matter what happens, I can fall back and I've got half a dozen people straight away that are there for me. As a kid in the 80s, Joe, growing up riding bikes, I didn't bring goats home. I bought tree frogs and we did bring a tree snake one day, which is another story for another day. But then at school, I learned the periodic table in chemistry in year 11, and I can still remember most of that. That doesn't help me regulate stress before a big presentation. That doesn't help me prepare a mental skills program. That doesn't help me navigate relationships in the ups and the downs. Having now participated in the social mastery program, is there a skill? Is there a framework? Is there a lesson where you went, oh, gosh, I wish I had known that earlier? I loved the box breathing techniques um, and some of the breathing work that you've went through with that. Just being able to clear your mind, um, as you said, dealing with, with children and, and little ones. And I think I even brought it up during our, our course where Sarah and I have resorted to sometimes where it's three in the morning, you've been up half a dozen times already and the little bloke, George, my little fellow is just screaming and he's just unsettled, he's teething or whatever. And you just think, go to sleep. I just want to go to sleep. I've got to go to work in three hours. But then you sort of go, okay, have a couple of deep breaths, just take a couple of steps back. He can't communicate. He can only scream or sleep. That's pretty much where he's at. Um, This is his way of of telling me something is not right. And you just change change that uh, that script in your mind of where you're going and then how you deal with it. And as we we know, like they're going to bounce off your emotion as well. So if you're wired and you're upset and you're cranky, then it's, it's obviously going to reflect into them as well at that age. So. We have now people on our podcast quoting research around social contagion That's theory. It. <laughs> it's really good to hear about that. Um, you're absolutely right about children being absorbers of your energy and that's the only way to communicate. But the having that presence of mind to stop and center yourself, that's just something so simple but can be such powerful, that pause. I don't always do it, and. <laughs> Guilty as charged, Your Honour. When I'm tired, it's when I've been travelling and when Ange is pushing me to deliver timelines and deadlines and it's no agency. It's got nothing to do with me. It's everyone else's. <laughs> it is. It's when you go through busy periods and you step back and go, yeah, I need to really double down on the down regulation. Brenda, can I ask you the, the same question? Is there an adversity or a really tough time in your life where you had to dig deep? And, and as a follow-up on that, same as what we were talking to Joe about. Is there a skill? Is there a framework? Is there a lesson you've learned in the social mastery program that you go, oh my, if I'd known this earlier? Absolutely. So my brother passed away in 2015 and at the same time, that's when the marriage ended. And I will forever be so grateful for the love and support from my military brothers. I was in an infantry battalion for seven years and the character quality, we call them grunts, right, infantry um, soldiers, we call them grunts, but the character, the warmth and the strength and the support that I felt at that time is something that will stay with me forever. And I'm just so very grateful because if it wasn't for the support that I received, I, I don't think I would have um, had the resilience or developed, you know, the, the the way that I was able to come through that. So I'm I'm extremely grateful. I, I think I've said, you know, sometimes you feel like in the military it's the best and the worst years of your life, but having them carry me at a time when it really was my darkest, I yeah, so very grateful. And it is that camaraderie in the military. We talk about um, morale and mateship. And it's so much deeper 
than what I've experienced in sort of just like regular friendships that I may have had. They say that adversity strengthens the bonds that you have. And when you're training together, you are facing adversity <laughs> and, and to a degree that you kind of wouldn't just experience in your everyday life. So I feel that that is gold that holds you so tight so that when you are going through a hard time, that is when that gold rises to the surface. We talk about togetherness being a trainable mental skill. So you can teach teams connectedness and, and that bond. Now, the, the teams you were both in, you wouldn't have spoken about, hey, we need to be together. That's just something I love about defence is you have this bond, you have this group. Knowing what you know now, having participated in the social mastery program, is there an iOS upgrade? Is there a skill that you learnt in that that you go, ooh, I, I, that would have made a big difference to me other than learning the periodic table in year 11 and never having to look at sodium molecular compound much again, apart from when you cramp. I think being a driven person and kind of juggling so many balls and you get very good at it and occasionally you'll drop one and, and maybe pick it up or, you know, find a different way to juggle more balls. But the, you had a... Um, had a podcast and it was about burnout and um, so while I was doing the series I used to listen to the podcast while I'd cook dinner and it was just a great way you know to to fit everything in and when it spoke about burnout it just broke down some really basic things and, and spoke about lack of vitamin d and how you need more sun and I really did a stock take I went oh my goodness I actually get up and leave quite early and then I come home quite late and it's when am I fitting in this and also um taking your shoes off and touching the grass and, and that is just like getting back to nature and taking that time out so even though we may do those things actually being more mindful and factoring it in I found that was something you know it was a really great tool which I'll now hold and make sure that I factor those things in just go on a riverina tour with Joe out to Binya you'll get some grounding in take your shoes off and get on the grass you got to be actually you got to be careful saying it's go windy. out to the country area and get on the grass <laughs> it has another terminology <laughs> if you're in Nimbin somewhere yeah <laughs> Brenda, you spoke about juggling and that's sometimes difficult. I would be interested to know you've got family. You mentioned you had a career and now uh, uh, well, you had a family and you had a family business and you've got a demanding career in the army. What are some of the skills and strategies that you do have to juggle all those different roles of Brenda? I think it's it's just being mindful of your time and where you're investing it. And obviously, as a result of COVID, everyone has realised that you now need to prioritise and care more for your own mental health. And I think always having a positive mindset, um, just as a result of my upbringing, has been something that's been incredibly beneficial to my life. Because even when situations, you know, when you're, you're really, really tough, I was always the person that could kind of lift. And in the military, particularly in the army, we use humour in the darkest moments and we call it like dark humour, which is totally inappropriate most of the time uh, and sometimes it's a coping mechanism. But being able to bring light to situations for others always helps lift. And for me, I think it is um, in serving others when you are really busy, it can help you lift it. It just takes the focus off yourself. Obviously, you've got to take care of yourself and have some downtime as well. But for me, it's it's focusing on others that helps me to be able to just, you know, do all those things. What strikes me as coming through in, in what you've just said there, Brenda, if you recall in the Burnout Proof podcast, one of the ways to make yourself burnout proof is that sense of purpose. So that service-oriented nature that you have – coming through from a young age right through to now, that's really helping you. It sounds like that's really helping you cope uh, with all the demands that gets thrown at you. I'll just chime in before you answer that. It's also that connectivity back to grandma and the kids. So it's that sense of belonging, that connection, that love. Yeah, I guess I've always been brought up with a sense of, of service to others, which has always been wonderful. I can remember um, doing high ropes training during my initial training and being up there, not realising that I'm afraid of heights until I'm actually up there. And I had to take this big leap and, uh, and as I reached out for the rope, I fell. And as I fell, it burnt all my hands 
with the rope burn. And as I got down, I kind of, the emotion, I just felt it completely well up and, and I was about to kind of, you know, like lose control of myself. And I can remember a corporal in my face screaming at me saying, have a look around, look at your mates. They are in need right now and what are you going to do? And I took a breath and I looked and it took away all of that big emotional swell that I had because now my focus was to help others. And even just this week at work, I, I was having my own little moment with stuff going on and then I could just see the need everywhere else. And it's not that you're denying your own um, issues or, you know, your own um, welfare, but when you are helping others, it just helps lift you. And so I think that is something that the military has obviously helped me with. And I think as a part of resilience, it's such a great tool. Service to others, um, that's something that is such a great reminder to reframe and look at things in a, in a different way. Joe, I'm going to ask you a similar question. You are a father, you are a husband, you've been in the Air Force. How do you juggle all of those different roles? Um, I think sort of piggybacking off what Brenda was, was sort of going through there, that resiliency, uh, resiliency is a huge tool that we can use in everyday life. Um, if for me, in some training that I've done previously as an adventurous, uh, adventurous training leader, I was a, a roping qualified instructor. So we used to literally part of our recruit course was for a day, we would not tell them and you take a recruit course up to the water tower at Wagga and as Andrew might know there's two big 50 metre water towers at Wagga Wagga. We'd actually take them up the stairs and throw them off one of them on a uh, abseiling rope. And, whether, and it was challenged, it wasn't if you wanted to or not, it was challenged by choice. And the, the idea of that adventurous training is that preparing for adversity through challenge. So if you can uh, go through, a, you know, what we know is safe, but in their mind, they're like, what the hell, I'm about to die, I'm about to jump off this water tower. Putting them through these particular stresses, um, it wasn't necessarily the activity. It, there's, there's a range of different um, activities we use in the Defence Force and adventure training to get that heightened distress and we call it peak adventure mode so you're getting them all your individuals at this peak adventure mode i like that we're going to scare the shit peak out adventure. of you but we've got this terminology <laughs> we'll even give it an acronym yep. it's called pam peak adventure mode we wouldn't tell them so you'd obviously pick and choose your, your punters through your group and you would you would know those who are really really nervous and those who are running their mouth and you're like oh, okay i can push this person a little bit further and really throw some more doubt in their mind but not that person over there because they're going to break down into a ball and cry and that's that's not where i want them yet so we got them, you get them through the process, but it was the power of the debrief um, of how did you break that down? How did you accomplish what you just did? You know, an hour ago, you wouldn't have probably walked up the stairs, let alone jump off this tower into the abyss, hanging off one rope um, and do it yourself. So just understanding what, how that debrief is and how you can break those, uh, understanding what your body's doing and understanding the stresses and realizing if you're heavy breathing or you're sweating in that, um, how did you then, did you just go, effort, I'm going for it, or did I break it down one step at a time and listen to what the instructor's telling you and then getting through it? And then using that and going, okay, in this similar situation of a stressful environment, like a deployment, like for me, my deployment, I was pretty safe and, and squared away. But as Brenda said, um, um, many of those infantrymen and, and the guys on the front line in those forward operating bases, they deal with that. 24 hours a day um, while they're there. So how did they get through that? You know, it's about breaking, you know, um, systematically breaking it down the processes and then um, working through it one step at a time rather than this whole thing. There's some of the signs on this as well. Just It's the stress inoculation training. So you call it peak adventure mode, but it's stress and you take it away. It's stress and you take it away and you dial it up and there's a whole process on doing this as well. Are you planning an upcoming conference or company offsite? For the past 15 years, I've averaged speaking at over 50 events each year, and I still love presenting at conferences as much as I did when I first started. To explore the different presentations I offer on a range of topics and themes, including physical and psychological well-being, becoming burnout proof, connection and belonging, that's a new area I'm, I'm really enjoying presenting on neuroscience and behavior change, mental skills, and leadership and culture. Or if you'd like to understand our fully integrated conference experience with pre-event diagnostics, activities throughout the agenda, including a morning wake up, energy breaks, team building activities, and digital resources to embed learning. To find out more information and to download a brochure, go to andrewmay.com slash keynotes. 
We had a peak adventure mode with Rear Admiral Wendy Malcolm. Wendy, we'll make sure you listen to this. I get every opportunity I can. It was called Hewitt Helicopter Underwater Escape Training. And the briefing is in the activity, but I didn't read the brochure and didn't really think about what helicopter underwater escape training would be. Let's say out of Ange and I, Brenda, we both rocked down to Nowra, ready to do this. And one of us thought we were going to do it once and it was all over. The other person read the brochure, prepared and nailed it. Guess but before who? before before we jumped right in, when Wendy offered this Hewitt training and Andrew didn't even know, didn't even ask any questions. He's like, yes, I'm there. Joe, when you spoke about people that run on their mouse, he's kind of like on that end. And I was sitting there and my face just went, what is Hewitt? <laughs> I was like, I don't know about this. And when she said helicopter underwater escape training, I think I might have lost a few shades of colour. You lost, and I'm there. <laughs> that, I read the book Seal Team 6, which I'm sure you're both familiar with, and they talk about a buds training, the prancing pony. It's people like me, the ex-athletes, who go, yeah, yeah, we're going to nail this. And by day one, day two, they're ringing the bell, and there's Pony, quiet, looking really scared. It just nails it. Anyway, let, let's not talk about this more. It brings on anxiety, but peak adventure mode. Can we go to something I feel a little bit more comfortable with? NRL teams. Who's your favourite NRL team? Joe, start uh, with The you. Raiders for me. All right. It's going to be a very short, I, uh, short conversation about the Raiders. Played for the Lakes Raiders in Forest Hill and uh, I thought, well, they're the closest to Wagga, so that's why I went to the Raiders. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Brenda. <laughs> uh, Bulldogs. Great. I feel closer to the Bulldogs, and there's a link on this. So I was hoping one of you would say the Bulldogs. Last week, up the ra- actually was. <laughs> we <laughs> I'm didn't not making this stuff up. I wanted to get a segue <laughs> for talking about followership and leadership, and I thought, oh, how can I bring in NRL? Reed Marnie, who's the captain of the Bulldogs, and he's a, a lovely young man, Reed. And Brenda Reedy was at Parramatta when I was there, so I have permission. I, I'm still working with Reedy, even though I'm signed up with the mighty Manly Seagulls. It's going to be a great season. I still do work with Reedy and he's made that transition, which is really linked to what we're about to talk about. He was in the team following and then he's suddenly been jettisoned into captain. And we're talking last week about that blend between followership and leadership. And it's been in the press. End of season, there was a a couple of challenges the Bulldogs had with players and discipline. So we're actually talking about that and what Reedy can do as a captain. And he loved that term, Brenda, on followership and leadership. Because when I grew up, it was like, okay, you lead or okay, no, they'll follow. But that's so different in, in defence, just that term on followership first leadership. So Brenda, can we start with you? Just this dance between followership and leadership and what have you learned? So I joined as a soldier, I joined as a private and then obviously now I'm an officer and they talk about the strategic corporal and the strategic corporal is the soldier who has influence. So they might not hold a rank to be able to, you know, like direct people but through who they are, they strategically can influence people in even a greater way than, you know, someone with a higher rank. And so I guess in my journey going from being a soldier to being an officer, I've been always very mindful of fellowship and leadership. And I've tried to mould myself, I guess, you know, the best of both worlds. So you can hold a rank and people will respect your rank, but what you want them to is to respect you as a person because that's where the fellowship comes from. Oh, got the power quote for this episode, Wizard. I love that. I love that. Have you said that before or did that just drop in then? Well, I guess I've always thought it. I don't really publicise it, but... Yeah, so I now that I'm a captain, so I'm a, I'm a junior officer, I like to think that I'm the odd person in the room at these meetings because I do have 13 years' experience, so I'm not really just that junior person sitting in the room, which I, which means that I do have the ability to, um, to ask the stupid questions that the higher-ranking people might not want to ask, which gives you the ability, you know, to influence and, and redirect and... Uh, yeah, provoke, I guess, a little bit at times. As she lights up, for people listening to this, you can't see the smile. And <laughs> I can just see even you reflecting on that. It's not just 13 years. It's growing up the wild child. It's the adversity you've gone through with the relationship separation. That That's challenging for, for men and women to go through that. It's sitting there with a broken ankle and that ad came on. Isn't it amazing, that sliding door moment? 
and that ad came on when you're sitting there with all the time and reflection and making meaning and went, yeah, I'm only 31. You know I'm going to get you to 100. We spoke about that week two social mastery. Follow the match fit protocol with Dr. Tom Buckley and I and you'll be kicking on at 100. So you're only a third of the way there. I'm but- going to wear out long before then. <laughs> Was it a Highlander? It's better to, uh, better to burn out than it is to fade away. <laughs> Joe, brother from another mother, followership versus leadership. How, how would you explain that? And also, how have you experienced the two? I love the term, as Brenda said, it's, to me, it's respect. It's not just following and doing what you're told. It's about developing that respect for not just a rank, but it is a person. You know, listening back to Seabass's podcast when you went through with Seabass, exact same thing. You, you, you pay that respect, same as on a sports field, um, you, for that 80 minutes, 60 minutes, you respect that other team. Just to interject, for, for anyone who grew up in our vintage, they're going to be thinking of Dumb and Dumber when Lloyd Christmas is in the, the trailer cafe and says, kick his ass, Seabass, and I can see Joe <laughs> laughing at that one and just going, what is he talking about? Seabass is Caitlin Bassett, former captain of the Australian netball team. I just wanted to let people know this is not Dumb and Dumber. We're actually referencing on the podcast, even though Dumb and Dumber is one of my favourite movies. Caitlin Bassett, who's an amazing woman. Sorry, Joe, keep, I just needed to, no, to clarify that it's one, okay. chat. Um, yeah, so it is that respect, respect for those other people on the field or uh, within that workplace, right? So for me, I love, there's a, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is from a Lewis Hamilton quote, the Formula One driver. And it was uh, a couple of years ago, he was in Australia. It was 10 years after he first had his, uh, his first race. And the, uh, the commentator went, Lewis, what would you tell, it's been 10 years, what would you tell Lewis from 10 years ago to do something, you know, anything different? And he said, you can't train experience. 10 years ago, like I've obviously gone through so many ups and downs and learned life lessons, but until you experience and learn those life lessons, you're never going to know. And it's something that I, I very much carry um, now teaching. You know, I've gone through and taught over 500 recruits and even dealing with my team members now to get out and experience it. I, I say it myself, my, my experience there was on that adventure training course. And we sat down the first day we went through this slide of like all the learning outcomes of what we're going to learn. Uh, oh, sorry, all the um, outcomes of what we're going to achieve and the objectives we're going to achieve over the month of this course. And I was like, I don't know any of that. Oh my God, I'm going to fail. This is terrible. I haven't prepared for any of this. And then the penny dropped. I'm like, oh, well, that's why I'm here. That's why this course is here. It's going to teach me how to do X, Y, and Z. So get in and give things a go, but um, never take it away experience is a huge thing and, and you can't teach that you know you just have to get in and do pmat uh, it's a program it's our um, professional military education and training that we use now and within the RAF in the last few years they've been combining senior enlisted um, ranks so my rank as a sergeant or flight sergeant's 15 20 25 years of experience and on the same course they're actually implementing the same course and the junior officers are sitting in so these junior officers are our hierarchy however they only have maybe two three years of experience and when we go through the experiential stage they actually let the junior officers run the first few experientials um, and just let them sort of okay this is you're the leader you're going to do this xyz and then they throw out a couple of the sergeants or the, the ncos in the mix and they see the huge change of what experience can then do and and how the the process is a lot more streamlined so that was it's a perfect example of trusting even though someone below you in the military especially may be a junior rank don't ever take away what they can bring to the table and their experiences and that life lessons Brenda highlighted before she was obviously a mature age recruit going through recruit training but as a recruit instructor 100% I know her presence and being there would have been this massive grounding effect for the junior people on her course and this fallback when they're stressing and they're freaking out and and I've seen it a hundred times with our senior uh, recruits and they were just rolling through, just taking it easy. It was worth its weight in gold of having experience. A couple of open loops and I'm going to give both of you time to get ready for the reflection because, Ange, what we do in most performance intelligent podcasts, apart from the science of Wizard edits it, we have a listen back, we have a bit of time to reflect, make meaning, then we hop in the studio or whiz, you do it recently wherever I'm at, and then we reflect on the podcast. Let's put these wonderful two people on the spot. Brenda, in a moment, I'd like you to reflect on what have you taken out of listening to Joe today? And Joe, I'd love you to take out of 
to share with us, what have you taken out listening to Brenda? So to buy you a little bit of time, I've got to close a few open loops. Mature age at 31. Gosh, I'd love to be mature age at 31 now. And people saying, oh, he's 30. He's so mature and old. <laughs> yeah, I think the, that was my peak. Yeah, the, the, well, no, it's not. You're only just getting started. I just like that we say mature age is 31. Yes. Now, NCO, non-commissioned officer, for anyone who's listening to this who uh, is not familiar with the terms, we're starting to learn now terms. And it was so foreign to us when we started this social mastery program. Commander Dean Thompson, I even know CMDR, I know the acronyms now. I'm starting to realise. So we're learning and, and loving the experience working with you. And any final questions you have for either Brenda or Joe before we get them to do their reflection. Joe, with your experience in training the younger recruits and Brenda, with your experience growing up or going through the army as a mature age student, what is some advice that you would give to new recruits that have just joined, a couple of years experience, looking at everybody around them thinking, wow, everybody knows more than me. Everybody has so much more experience. What can I do to add value? Brenda, I'll start with you. I guess you need a motivating factor and it needs to be something within yourself and you need to be true to yourself. So you can't pretend to be something you're not. People see through it. So a, a lot of the time um, people think, oh, I need to be like that person. I need to sound like that. I need to look like, well, we all look the same really anyway. We're all wearing the same uniform. But I think I've learned where you see people and their leadership style is not authentic to who they really are. So uh, I guess some advice is to to be yourself but be moderated, you know. So you mentioned before about being a bogan, okay. If you're a bogan, <laughs> there will be times when you're an even Can I just say that that was me? Saying that I was a bogan. I, I now feel bad. God, but Captain Brenda Yass has come on the podcast and she's thinking in the first minute, the guy with the shiny head without the beard, that's me, Joe, <laughs> called her a bogan. Highlight of my conversation today. <laughs> so, we do need to moderate and we do need to grow. And on your journey from who we are day one to, you know, as we grow, we will all change and develop. And that's the beauty of life. The experience changes us. The education changes us. We become better versions of who we are. But the guidance I would be giving to other people is be authentic to who you are. Don't change the core of who you are because that's how you were created and that's who you're meant to be. If we think of life as um, as a puzzle and all different pieces need to put, be put in there, you need to be who you are because you fit that spot just like that. That's beautiful. It's about authenticity but moderating it. And uh, I think a phrase that comes to my mind when you were speaking is about having that growth mindset as well, being prepared to take on constructive feedback and grow and be outside of your comfort zone to, to learn. Joe, same question to you. 100% inch, that motivation to self um, why are you there? What is your what is your goal of wanting to join the military? Obviously, it's it's a role as Andrew's explained um, that has very huge similarities with uh, you know a, a professional sports team or a uh, you know a um, team environment. But you need to yeah, very much drive it to yourself of of what is your motivator that wants to keep you there. Obviously, you're going to be challenged initially through recruit training and initial employment training before you sort of get into your role and start finding your feet. So. You're going to need sometimes uh, something there to fall back to, uh, to, to, to ground you and just reset that idea of like, why am I here? An example I had, and, and the gentleman, if you ever listened to, know who he was uh, or who he is. Uh, he came and seen me about three or four weeks out of the end of his recruit training, and he'd had enough just with his room and the dynamics of what was happening at the time. He'd sort of just he wanted to pull the pin and he wanted to go home. In the previ- in the past, and leading up to the course, we all get a little. Um, information package on all our, our team members or all our recruits and I knew that his grandfather served in World War II in Malta, the defence of Malta and I just sort of took him off to the side and said look I'm more than happy if you want this you know, termination paperwork and you want to go down that path for sure however have a think about what your motivator was here like what, what was your driver, I knew what it was because I'd read this and I got him to explain that to me, I'm like well what would your grandfather think about now like you dealing with these little situations and he'd be like, just tell me to get over it, like move on, put it behind you. I'm like, well, you know, you have a think about that and, and come and see me tomorrow. It's been six, seven years now. He's an, 
uh, an NCO and kicking goals in the defence force. So there's that emotional conduit again. Yeah, that emotional conduit, Joe, coming through. You've just tapped into that. It's like almost like a sliding door moment for him that you helped coach him through and remember the roots as to why he was there. And for me, that was the whole purpose of me as an instructor, right? Like I'm not there to fail people. I'm there to get them through and, and to tap into that motivation of why they are there and, and to get the best out of them. And I suppose as a leader, that's what it's about is to linking back to you, as you as a follower. Okay, what, what are my motivators? What, what do I want to get out of my team? There's all one. I might have my own motivations as a leader, but if I'm not tapping into what it's really my followers are needing and, and needing from me, then I'm not really leading them, right? I'm just a manager. So as a recruiting instructor, that was a huge reward at the end of every course when you have maybe 60 people graduate and all their mums and dads and grandparents coming up like, this is amazing. This person is not the person that left three months ago. So that was the win for me, that emotional so many lessons, depth. I could really nerd out on the psychological constructs, the physiological constructs, the neuroscience, but we don't have time. What we do want to finish is the reflection. So Brenda, and for context for people listening to this, you two have never met. You, you met when we came online today. So we've randomly, or Ange and the team and Luba have randomly selected two participants that we really liked on the program, your participation, your energy and engagement. So the idea was to put you together from Air Force, from Army and have a conversation. I love the, the, the connection you both had without even knowing each other. So context, you don't know each other. What have you learned today, Brenda, listening to, to Joe and his story? When you spoke about um, when your son was like teething and, and you had to get up and deal with that, I guess it's the transferable skills and it's a two-way thing, right? So we have this growing up and, and the, you know, the influence as a child with your family and how those skills transfer because that's the core of who you are, right? They get refined and challenged and changed somewhat and then as you grow in, in your military career, this is kind of how it all gets polished but how it works the other way. So you mentioned how you kind of were able to regulate and you're able to, you know, do some box breathing and take control. And I just think being a whole human is something that was conveyed, Joe, in what I learned from you today is, you know, being an instructor wasn't just about look at how I can teach or how I can instruct, but you took away the development and the growth that you could see in others. So it's, yeah, it's a beautiful um journey isn't it you know how we how we grow and then we impart that to others but then that makes us a better person so yeah that was yeah was good thank you brenda um and for me i suppose i'll flip it to Ange for you if you like um so for brenda i think listening to your story and especially coming through as a as a captain being mindful in regards to wanting to learn and always being uh, having that uh, i suppose that adaptiveness and that open mindfulness to walk into any door and, and, and take on that information. Um, I, th I think as an as a enlisted member, that's really comforting to hear, knowing that our, even though you're limited with uh, your experience in the military, you're using that life experience to then go in and take on that new information and hopefully then you can instill into your junior people. So for me, I, I love that open-mindedness that you're willing to, to sort of go into and attack. If we ran this conversation through those four themes, Ange, in social mastery, so self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and then relationship management, OMG, there's been themes that that's what the young kids say. For, oh Is that God. right? <laughs> You're trying to be young and hip? <laughs> yeah. 31, mature. <laughs> yeah, there's been so many beautiful lessons. Now, I've, I've, got a, I've got a thought of how I end this. You might want to pick up the pieces because this might fall flat, but I was thinking this is – such an honour for all of the people who come from Binya listening to this. So, Joe, I would say, Binya, get it in you. <laughs> and I would say to Brenda, I'm really struggling on this, not a lot rhymes with young, and I'd actually say for Brenda, young, climb a higher rung. <laughs> was that as that was horrible terrible. as it sounded? It was really bad. Okay, so bail me out. <laughs> Finish this place. Like if you got cherries. <laughs> Uh, my reflection from you both is the power of looking after each other, drawing on the support from your team in the best times 
and also in the bad times to get you through. And that's really come out really strongly from the both of you, starting from the families that you grew up in, which gave you the reasons and the purpose to continue that service to others. And then having the uh, military or the Air Force or the Army around you to bring you through and having that family um, that is not just, you know, blood related, I think that is really inspiring to hear. Somebody growing up in the corporate world, uh, when you work with colleagues, you develop great relationships with nothing them. Nothing like this. But it is nothing like what you've just reflected there. So that is something that I've taken away. But you have it now with Strive Stronger. Like you, you haven't had it. Up until now, right? I, I had it because I had to do Hewitt with you, Andrew. <laughs> that was so much better, Ange. Thank you for saving. Binya, get it in you. Young, climb a higher rung. That's just that's horrible. Just drop that. We'll drop that. Okay. Do you want to edit that out? Do you want to leave that in, guys? Uh, that's on you. It's your <laughs> It's your reputation. <laughs> I've even got a fellow dad not backing me up on the dad joke. Hey, uh... Finishing on a more serious note, thank you. Thank you for participating in the program and thank you so much for coming here today and being so open, so reflective. I really am looking forward to listening back to this because there are those threads of the, the psychology, the physiology, your learning, some of it's been formal, some of it's been on the job. And, and what I've really, really enjoyed with both of you is, yes, I'm at a level where I'm proud and I've worked hard, but you're also humble and drop the guard and and help others and acknowledge we're not perfect we all have flaws we all have challenges and it's been a beautiful mix of skill and, and still developing still evolving so thank you so much for your for your time today but thank you for your presence thanks guys i'd just like to also throw in there too you know for me i thought i was in pretty good space and i sort of understood some of the concepts that we spoke about but to really touch base on it and to be able to reflect and take the time and get some of those skills to, to understand sort of the science behind it. And then just the way the program is set up to be able to, I can still access the platform and the iStrive platform for, uh, you know, the following months and, into, you know, that I can reconnect back into and travel back over. It's It's been so helpful through my leadership career as well as, uh, you know, leading into the future. So thanks very much, guys, for, for giving us the opportunity. And please, if you get the opportunity, jump on board because it's it's been a, a great uh, couple of months to be able to, to share some of my insights and hear what you guys have had to, to cover for us. Thank you so much for saying that, Joe. That really gives me personally my purpose as to why we do what we do. So I really appreciate that, Joe. Yeah, it's, it's same, Joe. Thank you. Goosebumps to, to wrap up. I think that's a perfect way to end this conversation. So let's... Let's reflect, Ange. Captain Brenda Yao, Sergeant Joe Munro, thank you very, very much for your time today. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Ange. Thanks, Thanks Brenda. Brenda. Thanks, Joe. See ya.